Hello, welcome to Season 6 of the Keeping Things Alive podcast. My name is Laura Evans, and I am a writer, deep listener, and disillusioned environmental lawyer living in western New York. Season 6 of the Keeping Things Alive podcast is here to explore the opportunities and challenges for human beings as we all live together on this beautiful, harsh, and interconnected planet Earth. This season, we are going to pay special attention to the healing properties of plants, the legalization of cannabis in New York State, tarot, and what is going on with the police in Erie County. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Keeping Things Alive podcast. It is the week of October 25th, 2021, and yeah, everything's wild. This episode is the ballot review episode, which I've actually done a couple of times, and this is the third time that I'm doing it. And yeah, it's exciting to share. There's a lot going on with local politics here in Erie County. Um, yeah, I'm in the, the city of Buffalo here working, and there's the city of Buffalo mayor's race, which has made all kinds of news on many levels. And locally here, it's it's been really intense and exhausting and exciting. And so yeah, here's this podcast episode about it. Uh, so yeah, I just want to say like, I am really proud that this has made it this far. I think this podcast has turned into one of the longest projects of my life. And I know I've said this before, but I definitely have, uh, seasons to thank for that. I think if I didn't take a break, I would have stopped a long time ago. Um, so yeah, having the, the rhythm of seasons has been really helpful. Um, yeah, I kind of took some notes, I guess. I've also been avoiding sugar since 2014. So, uh, that is, that has also been a habit that's really changed my life. And yeah, making this podcast is, is a journey. Uh, so yeah, this is, this is the annual voting episode and covering, uh, what is on a ballot for a city of Buffalo resident and why it kind of matters to their lives. And so I am, this is really much, not so much my commentary. It's much more of John Washington's commentary. He's been on this podcast many times and he's a community organizer, political educator out of Buffalo, New York. He's been on this podcast with the Wakanda Alliance as well. And yeah, I just want to say, I promise I will republish those episodes in the coming months. I, yeah, I'm in this process of a big clearinghouse and reboot for the whole podcast and website and looking forward to sharing that with you in the coming months and doing a lot more work over the winter and early spring. So yeah, the uh, the purpose of this ballot review episode is to help listeners become aware of what government positions are on the ballot um, in the city of Buffalo. And so city of Buffalo voters are also going to be getting some Erie County positions. And um, also there across New York State, there's all these voter propositions that are on the other side of the ballot. So learning about what those propositions are and whether you want to vote a yes or no for those propositions is important to think about like before you go. Um, yeah, and really how all this affects like an average person's life. And I think that in past in past times that we've done this, John and I have been very careful that we're just talking about the positions and not the candidates. But this year we are talking about candidates um, because that's it's how we feel about them. It's important. These elections are affecting our daily lives. And so, yeah, I'm, I am John as well. And on this episode, it'll be very clear that uh, we heavily support and endorse India Walton. 
um, the yeah type of change in leadership that she's bringing to the table is needed uh, in the city of Buffalo and and honestly everywhere. I've just I've been really impressed with with India in so many ways and how much she's just really taken leadership and welcomed the difficulties uh, with a lot of dignity, grace, and good new ideas. And it's exciting to see um, right here where I'm living. Um, and then also, um, I support Kim Kimberly Beatty to be the Erie County Sheriff. Uh, we'll talk about that as well. Uh, this podcast has covered the uh, human rights violations in the Erie County Holding Center and jail systems uh, for many seasons. And yeah, so again, leadership, accountable change. And yeah, it's really like, yeah, it's just, it's time, time to move forward. And so, yeah, I am excited to share this episode. It really, it does speak for itself, but I did want to provide a little bit of an intro because we just kind of start right away with the ballot, but this is kind of a tradition of the podcast. And I hope that it provides people with information, um, no matter where they live, but especially if you're in the city of Buffalo, get out and vote, um, early voting, happening now it started this past saturday and it's going to run until sunday october 31st Uh, if you're hearing this later yeah still november 2nd and then if you just want a recap of like what happened and yeah what these different government positions are i it's definitely john is a wealth of knowledge he knows so much about um politics and government and just in the you know popular education lens so you can really like make it uh make sense to you and why it matters in your life so all of that, please enjoy the 2021 election ballot review from John Washington out of Buffalo, New York. Hi, John. Hi, Laura. How are you doing today? I'm doing great today. Awesome. Thank you for being here. Um, all right. So we're doing another ballot review. It's 2021 and it's October. So next month is the election. And I think this is the third year we're doing this. Um, so yeah, I'm glad we, glad we keep doing this and yeah, going through, um, what a ballot would look like for a city of Buffalo resident. Um, is there anything else you want to say about like what we're up to with this? And I just appreciate the space to to talk about this and want to remind folks that there is an election every year. Uh, I think a lot of people think of elections as an every four-year things, but there are different positions elected every year. Elections are important every year, and every year in between presidential elections sets the infrastructure, the gerrymandering, so much up for what happens in presidential elections. So it's important to vote every year, even if you look at a ballot and you see the same names and no choices, the lines and so much of it, and the numbers really do have an impact overall on how the next election will look. Yeah, thank you for that. It's interesting because uh, I think for season two of this podcast, it was like this election cycle. So yeah, we're in the city of Buffalo. It's a mayor's race. It's a, sh- a county sheriff's race. And that's exactly, yeah, where where I kind of started with this. So um, yeah, can you talk about the city of Buffalo a little bit? Um, yeah, just kind of like put it into perspective for maybe people who don't live here and even people who are new to the area. 
um, what the city's like. like yeah, okay. yeah, just some some statistics about about it. Sure. Um, so the city of Buffalo is the third poorest, and depending upon the metrics you use, the fourth or sixth most segregated city uh, in the country um, over the past 10 years, uh, really in the second two terms of Byron Brown's uh, who we'll talk about as our mayor, uh, we have seen enormous growth uh, in luxury housing, uh, in the development of a lot of glass and steel buildings and infrastructure. Uh, over 100 buildings have been built at an enormous cost uh, to taxpayers, both at the uh, county and city level. Um, we have, you know, a downtown that is getting new activity. Uh, West Side is, is seeing a lot of new activity with restaurants, small businesses, much of it um, not, I think, authentic to the community that, that lives there and a lot of gentrification, uh, but a West Side that has what I call segregated diversity. Uh, so the 14213 is the most diverse zip code in New York State. Um, and we're seeing more diversity on the east side and other poorer areas of Buffalo. Um, but ultimately, most of it is still concentrated on the west side. Um, I think North Buffalo and this kind of like Elmwood, Delaware corridor, uh, still extreme um, reflection of just white wealth and how the initial infrastructure of the city uh, still remains. And then the east side or East Buffalo, some like to call it, is actually physically two thirds of the city. Uh, so right. they don't like that framing. Um, depending upon the metrics you look at, is either 92% or 85% black. Um, and it is a ghetto, and ghetto is not a just nickname for bad neighborhoods. It is a political term uh, that is part of a system of apartheid. And so statistically, you can look at everything from cancer, food deserts. Um, you know, the east side is, a, is deeply um, divested from uh, place, and, but neighborhoods uh, like the Fruit Belt, Broadway, Fillmore, uh, university district are now starting to see, you know, much, much more investment uh, in this turning around phase of gentrification as they frame it. And, um, you know, I mean, the number one employer in Buffalo is the University of Buffalo and Delaware North. Uh, so Buffalo is really dominic dominated by education and service that have come nowhere near close to replacing uh, the industrial jobs that used to be here. Uh, but those industrial jobs have left the industrial contaminants uh, and made Buffalo, um, I think, top six in the country in, in, in the worst cancers. And that is why we have a $4 billion medical campus to um, profit and also manage the harm that's been done. So um, I think there are about beautiful parts of Buffalo, uh, beautiful neighborhoods, but you know I think it's important to kind of lay out the context of the different voting interests and voting blocks and the way that voting uh, has a direct relationship to why different places look the way that they do. Yeah, thanks for all of that. John, I want to ask you, what is the Working Families Party? We have talked about this before, but just refresher on that. Yeah, what's been going on um, yeah, like what's its history and what's its current status uh, here and elsewhere? Oh, uh, yeah. The Working Families Party is uh, a, a fusion voting party, uh, meaning that it has its own line on the ballot and it needs to get a certain number of votes every election to, to maintain that line. Um, but generally, democratically, but occasionally other party candidates um, can seek the endorsement and the line of the Working Families Party, uh, which is, you know, a collection of community organizations, um, unions, um, and just like committed people around the state um, who want politics to represent the interests of working families uh, came together in the 
late 90s, early 2000s, um, really to start to, in reaction to, you know, Clinton neoliberalism. Um, well, many people touted Bill Clinton as even being like a black man because he played the saxophone and um, had high praise for um for him, um, he really did solidify Ronald Reagan's agenda and kind of ushered in an era of neoliberalism that had, um, you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of white men in blue ties, um, like Joe Biden, um, pushing mass incarceration, uh, complete divestment and deregulation of housing and banking systems, um, and welfare reform, workfare. So much of what we assume has always been true about the way that our welfare systems work uh, really came from from the way that Bill Clinton um, and and the Congress that he managed, which was heavily led by by Joe Biden, um, really made life worse for poor people, for working families, and especially working families of color. Uh, so folks really got together um, during that time to, to build out this party. And, um, you know, now it's continuing to try to pull um, Democratic candidates more toward the values of, of working families um, by holding a line, which is an incredibly important thing for an elected official. Uh, as you can see, when you look at a ballot, uh, having your name show up twice is, is just psychologically that much more opportunity. Um, that someone will vote for you and as much as we are beautifully powerful and intelligent beings we also respond and our, our brains are designed to react to what's presented to us and right. so it is proven in many studies that you know the more times your name is on the ballot the more opportunities people have to vote for you the more likely people are to vote for you and so we're really working to build the power of of that party to continue to pull the Democratic Party to the left and, and not just to the left, like theoretically, but to invest in the issues, the policies uh, and hold elected officials accountable um, to the policies that actually support working families in New York State. Thank you. Yeah, I um, that was really good. And I'm just looking at the ballot right now. And yeah, there's a number of um, parties like online this uh this year, so it, yeah, that is interesting. So that's like a process like that happened months ago that different groups organized to do that. And Working Families Party has has been there and, and, for and just decades. All parties: Working Family, Democratic, Conservative, Back the Blue, which is uh, very Wild. new, and yeah. you know, um, ultra ultra neo Nazi. Mm -hmm. um, but all of these parties are right now planning and discussing how they're going to run their endorsement processes for the next election. So if you're a member of the Democratic Party, uh, give Jeremy Zellner a call. Give Ralph Zoll a call um, and try to get engaged. At whatever party you are a part of, um, it's not just about saying that you're a member of the party. Um, being a member of the party gives you power and access to decide who represents you in the party. Mm -hmm. uh, and so often, many other parties uh, are incredibly exclusionary and try to make sure that the average voter uh, doesn't have a say in the ultimate options that they have in November and just want to continue to reiterate the importance of political primaries, um, especially in gerrymandered districts, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later, uh, but in an era where um, most people see elections as things that happen in November, in New York State, elections happen in June. Um, mm -hmm. And what you see in November is because of what happens in June, so I would just encourage everyone, uh, between now and the end of the year, please reach out to your party, um, get a sense of what their process is and how you can be a part of deciding um, who your party will endorse and who is who are the options that you're going to have um, in January, in June and November. Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, okay, so 
now I want to get into the particular like positions and races that are going to be on the ballot in uh, Buffalo and Erie County. So I want to start with the mayor of Buffalo and I mean, yeah, India Walden for mayor of Buffalo. So yeah. How would you describe like what's happened? What's going on? Um, yeah. So there is sure. only one choice that we have for mayor. Yep. Uh, that is a democratically endorsed candidate, uh, India V. Walton. Um, obviously, there is a write-in campaign uh, for, for Byron Brown um, because he lost what, the yeah, primary. What is a write-in campaign and why would he have to do it? Yeah, explain um, that. Yeah. Uh, so um, back to what I was saying before, um, there is a political primary process that usually runs from January to June. I don't know the exact dates for next year, um, but when you want to run for your party, you first run against the members of your party who also want that position. Whoever wins that primary is then considered the nominee. Um, Historically, in Buffalo, because of the deal cut between Republicans and Democrats, uh, any Democrat running for a city position uh, usually runs unopposed. And really, that's why the primary is the real election, because that's where you have a choice between multiple Democrats as to who is going to be the the presumed candidate. And in every single other year, I shouldn't say every single, because there's been a few times that this has been contested. uh, If you won the Democratic primary, uh, then you would be presumed to have the position uh, because there would be a prearranged agreement that no Republicans or conservatives were going to run. Um, that's how it ran in Byron Brown's, you know, uh, the all the elections that he ran before uh, for every single position that he's held for the past 30 years. Um, but this year, um, after losing the Democratic primary to India Walton, um, Byron Brown, in a powerfully reactionary way, uh, pulled together um, the most conservative Democrats uh, and some of the most radical conservatives in order to finance uh, a massive scale write-in campaign. Um, and so anyone can run for any office at any time, theoretically, and they can convince people to write their name in. And if they get more people to write their name in, um, then, then the, the candidate that's on the ballot then, then they can have that position. Um, writing campaigns have an incredibly low success rate, um, but I think there should be a high level of respect for Byron Browns because of his political savvy experience and, just to be honest, his corruption and the amount of interests um, that show up in, in the way that, that he chooses to govern. Um, so there's going to be one option for people to circle in on the ballot, that is that is India Walton, um, and people outside of polling places across the city uh, will probably be handed um, many ways to to show their support for, for Byron Brown, um, despite the fact that he did lose the primary um, and then chose to organize a new party and go against the party that he was once the state director of uh, very recently in order to hold on to the power that he has. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, can you talk about uh, India Walton as, um, yeah, being the future mayor of Buffalo? Uh, yeah, as the, as the presumptive and future mayor of Buffalo, um, India Walton has been endorsed by um, a long and wide range of, of groups. 
uh, including the Working Families Party, although she is not showing up the line uh, because of a technical error and uh, some miscommunication with the uh, Erie County Election Commissioner, who also is the head of the Democratic Party, uh, which is a position that I don't think should be able to be held by someone who both represents the party and the interests of the people. Yeah, has that been going on for a while? Because I think that that was we've talked about. You've brought that up before. Yeah. Yes, so it's yeah. it's been going on for um, for several years now, and and prior to, there was two different people who did the position, um, but ultimately. Um, you know, Democrats have controlled the regulation of our elections. And this, I think, goes back to the illusion that we are taught uh, early on in school of checks and balances mm-hmm. and the system um, that holds itself accountable through three branches, um, kind of interweaving their powers to create a maximum justice. Really what it does is create maximum bureaucracy and powerful people all have an interest in working together um, to make elections inaccessible to other people. And so I think one of the, the, the strategies has been actually to get less people to vote because the mm-hmm. less people that vote, um, the more that you can actually control like who the electorate is, who's making these decisions, and to consistently and predictably disengage voters um, with you know bad websites, misinformation, mm-hmm. um, Yeah, people are like, I just have other things to deal with. Uh, and you know, yeah. this is this is the tradition of, of poll taxes and the tradition uh, really, you know, from the, the country's inception in the first constitution, uh, it was white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, so non-Catholic if you're a Catholic, you couldn't vote. And if you didn't have a deed to property, you couldn't vote. Um, and so our our voting system and how we decide who has power has always been tied to who has property, um, who leverages that property to control slaves, indentured servants, and, and the labor caste um, that this country is built on top of. And all of those vestiges still show up today in our systems. They're just in less explicit, more complicated ways. And again, that's why it's so important to, to be to participate because when you participate you you will see all of these things um, you know so differently because of your interaction with them and actually physically seeing who these people are what they do what their impact on your ability to make real decisions about who you want to govern your yeah. community yeah there's definitely more clarity can you talk about uh, democratic socialism and what that actually means? Sure. So democratic socialism um, is is the premise that there are sectors of our economy uh, that should be socially regulated and regulated towards social benefit. Um, and it's fundamentally different from uh, a full governance form of socialism. Uh, it basically is socialism light. I think the most popular democratic socialist that we've had, um, I think, ever in, in, in American history is... Um, is Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Um, and so advocating for things like, um, you know, free college tuition, right? Um, the banks and colleges have a market uh, for how much it costs to go to college. Um, there are different ways that the government supports and subsidizes people's ability to participate in the market. Democratic socialism would be to say that um, there would be free co- public college tuition um, for, for all students, you know, and then for state schools. Now, it still allows for there to be a market. So if you wanted to go to Harvard, if you wanted to pay more money, if you wanted to, you can still make choices. But it's basically the idea um, that there is a state solution to every market problem. Um, But it also does, unlike socialism and communism, 
allow the market to to still exist and remain and just changes the government's relationship to to how it's regulated and make sure that people have an option within the market um, that is that is funded by the government and managed by the government and so I think across the country um, Democratic Socialists uh, of America which has really been spurred by you know Bernie Sanders and, and the political movements that we've had really um, you know starting with the, the anti-war and anti-globalization movement uh, of the late 90s and then moving into Occupy, Black Lives Matter, um, and a lot of the more popular movements that have been happening have really started to, to establish that, that we do need democratic socialism on the United States of America. And then if you look at um, Europe, um, pretty much every single country in Europe um, operationalizes a form of democratic socialism. Um, I think, you know, the, the Nordic countries, um, Sweden and, and Norway, um, probably do that the most. Uh, and you have more like even in um, even, you know, Britain, England, France, Germany, um, you know, have all come to an agreement that that there are parts of the economy that need to be socialized in order to meet human needs and, and avoid economic catastrophes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And yeah, definitely there is a lot of it already in our society. It's just not, yeah, like, yeah, public schools, right? And yeah. like, I don't know, just different. Yeah, like, um, I mean, examples I think of... Um, and I think governments are inherently socialist. Governments are admitting that like every individual human being cannot manage all of the systems necessary to support a society. Right. Um, so I wouldn't say like roads are socialism, but the I, all government and in some way admits that we need to pool coordinate, resources and yeah. coordinate in order to create an infrastructure that allows for society. I think mm-hmm. capitalism is about doing that in a way that allows for um, the most benefit or exploitation depending upon how you put it um, mm-hmm. to go to corporations and the theory that that trickles down ultimately to workers and regular people mm-hmm. and democratic socialism admits that 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 doesn't happen when it comes to healthcare, education and all those things so if you've ever gone to a public school uh, if you've been to a hospital all of these things um, are representations of the idea of, of, of socialism that there are certain parts of our economy certain parts of the way that the government works um, that ultimately should be separated from profit uh, I think that in America, because of the uh, brutality of McCarthyism and the reaction to FDR, um, who, you know, there's lots of arguments about what to frame FDR as, but he, um, along with, you know, Congress, um, really brought forth a new deal, right? Um, and the New Deal uh, were socialist policies that were driven mostly, honestly, by the Communist Party. Uh, and the fact that we did have a very powerful Communist Party uh, in the United States of America, um, and that really pushed Democrats and liberals to make big concessions, uh, like the right to unionize and the Wagner Act, um, like Social Security, which is something that just seems to be you know, baked into what America is. Yeah. But there was a point when, when, when there was no social safety net whatsoever. Um, those then during the Great Society years under um, Nixon and Johnson continued to expand and also expand their reach um, more and more to people of color, which is is still a consistent struggle. Um, But in reaction to that, uh, we had McCarthyism. We had Red Scare. Uh, We had an era where along with people of color who were being slaughtered, uh, lynched um, for for taking political stances, um, we had J. Edgar Hoover and, and McCarthy um, you know, literally a, a 
arresting, locking up, seizing the assets of businesses. And it's, it's ironic because when people think about communism, like that's what they think about. Uh, but the reality is the Federal Bureau of Investigations, uh, the Office of Strategic Services and CIA um, murdered and incarcerated an entire generation of socialists and communists. Uh, and that's why we don't see them, them stand up in public anymore. Uh, John F. Kennedy was was uh, someone who was accused of being a socialist, also a Catholic, which I think is something that people don't think of when they think about why he was murdered. Um, but there was an incredibly powerful, violent reaction uh, to the impact that socialists and communists organizing and its policies, which we now accept as normal, um, you know, had on this country. And so the vestiges of that are, are sitting on the minds of, 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 of most Americans. Uh, most of us are trained that socialist countries, communist countries, you know, have worse outcomes, have less freedom. Uh, when we are the country that incarcerates the most people, we are the least, you know, free country on earth when it comes to, to population. And so I think it's just important that when we talk about socialism, people do their research, understand what it actually means materially, what it could mean for the city of Buffalo, and not fall into the, the legacy of, of fear that was created by a few white men who were allowed to, to really destroy um, socialist movements in America. Yeah, thanks. It reminded me of, I've, I've seen on uh, Reddit a couple of times, like, People, uh, well, just like responding to news articles about like Germany taking away uh, pandemic benefits for people that weren't getting vaccinated. And um, there's all these responses from Americans like, wait, you were getting COVID benefits this whole time? Like literally like other countries are getting paid every single month just to quarantine so that they can like control their public health outcomes and yeah it was um it was just very interesting like yeah just how much and then when you think about like yeah maternity paternity leave um health all of that stuff like a lot of places have all those support systems and we don't and then it shows in, in the amount yeah. of violence then that that happens in this country yeah um so anything else you want to say about india walton and the mayor of buffalo campaign um i just want to say that you know i met india walton as an organizer on the fruit belt community land trust campaign um and i have seen very few people in in my life and career who have been as clear and driven um, and able to consistently meet and exceed the expectations of the challenges that are presented in, in solving community problems. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I met her a number of years ago as a trainer for Movement Generation, and yeah, to watch even in the past couple of months just the way that, um, yeah, she's showing up and engaging with people and just really meeting the challenges is really inspiring so yeah yeah all right so now the erie county sheriff uh this is another four-year position so um it's been tim howard for a long time and he's not running for sheriff he's running for town supervisor of the town of wales i believe so mm -hmm. uh yeah there's a new sheriff's race and yeah what is going on uh, with that one 
So, yeah, first, I think the Erie County Sheriff uh, controls our jail systems. Right, yeah. And there's a really big conversation going on now about what the future of our jails look like. Uh, There are some folks who want to close down the Erie County Holding Center and move all those folks for Alden. There are some folks who want to close down Alden Correctional and other correctional facilities in Erie County and concentrate them downtown. Um, but especially during COVID and, and Miles Carter uh, did an amazing job of highlighting this in, in his campaign and his mm-hmm. run in the primary, um, that there is an enormous and exorbitant amount of overstaffing and money spent um, on jails that, especially during COVID, just, just should not be full of folks. Um, you know, over the course of this past year, uh, we've done several actions at the jails um, and, and in all of them. Uh, people are literally yelling through the vents that they are not being fed, that they're being beaten, that they're being raped, um, that they're being coerced um, into accepting plea deals. And to me, um, you know, the relationship, especially to city government, is that, you know, and, and Buffalo policing is that, you know, we, we mass incarceration uh, puts black and brown bodies um, into the prison system. And in this part of the system, they are not convicted. And so it, anybody who's been in the holding center knows that if you've been in there for more than a night, you will do pretty much anything to get out of there, including accepting plea deals in our 96% plea deal system that mass incarcerates people who often did absolutely nothing other than get someone to call the cops on them because they didn't like something they were doing or to, to piss off a cop who, who was put in position um, to, to harass and arrest them. Um, I think now the death toll is 31 people have died. 31 people who were arrested, um, charged with the crime, but never convicted, never saw their day in court, or may have had an arraignment, but not a full trial or even the opportunity um, to to confess or, or cut a deal. Um, their lives have been ended um, by by neglect, um, by the the brutality of the space. And so, you know, this isn't just about electing a person in a position who's going to push paper. Uh, this person is going to set the tone and have to negotiate with. Um, a really what what I believe are modern day concentration camps. And mm-hmm. so I think that this is an incredibly important election as it was last year. Um, and, you know, the candidates, um, really, there's there's Kim Beattie, um, who is the, you know, Democratic endorsed candidate, uh, working family supported candidate. And um, while well, she was a Buffalo police officer for quite some time, and um, I have some, you know, deep problems and reservations uh, with anyone who's been a part of the Buffalo Police Department uh, and their gross record of, you know, um, brutality um, and just mass incarceration. Um, on the other side, we have John Garcia, uh, Karen Healy Case, uh, and and Tom or Ted Donato, um, who who all not only refused to to question, but doubled down um, on the need for a, a carceral system that does otherworldly harm to, to black and brown bodies and concentrates political power in rural areas. And so, you know, what the sheriff does is is they manage the safety, right? And, and, and actually in the job description is, is intended to be about safety. Uh, and it's very clear that our sheriffs have not been keeping anyone safe because they have an equal responsibility to keep the innocent lives that go in and out of the holding center safe. Um, they've not done that. 
Um, and you know, it's, it's my hope that, that Kim Beattie is successful and that hopefully she forgets all of those things that she learned, uh, being a Buffalo police officer, um, and, and is able to really have the power to, to build some of the systems that, um, you know, were, were heavily supported by a lot of people, um, in our community, um, during the primary when, when Miles Carter was running. Yeah, that's, um. Yeah, I'll really, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, yeah, it's just, I know that, like, the holding center, I, I don't know, maybe that might be, like, the thing that's come up the most on this podcast, just again and again, there's so many people talking about it, and it's just, like, it, like, yeah, it's um definitely time for change, like, in all of these positions we're talking about, but, yeah, this one is uh particularly, like, harrowing and just, like, I don't know, just something that, like, brings so much like pain harm and like problems to like everyone in the county really <laughs> like i don't even think it's really benefiting the sheriff's department like you know it's really well, it's just, providing it's, hundreds of jobs yeah. for people in, in rural spaces yeah um and and those are those are those are politically important right yeah. and um those drive those are the highest paying jobs in poor white rural communities. Mm-hmm. And there was a deal cut a long time ago um, that housing and managing black bodies uh, is the root of policing. And mm-hmm. that is the same today. And we'll talk about that more when we talk about the proposals on the back and some of the ways yeah. that they can change how that looks. Right. Okay. Um, is there anything else you want to say about the sheriff's race? Um, also that, that, that regardless of who wins, accountability is still necessary. The, (laughs) the sheriff's department has been under federal investigation for the past 20 years. The investigations continue to pile on. Um, but little to no action has been taken on these investigations. And I personally believe that these murderers need to be in the very jail, um, that, that they are managing. Agreed. Um, All right, so let's move on to other important elections that are on the ballot. So we've got the county legislature, the county comptroller, city court judge, and New York Supreme Court justice. So uh, can you start with the legislature? County legislature is super important. Um, Our county uh, on the comptroller um, is in control and managing the resources, basically the accountant for the county. I think the county is is now, um, and I couldn't calculate it with COVID relief funds, um, but it's uh, the last thing I looked, it was like $1.3 billion budget um, that the county um, manages. And the county legislatures are the board that hold the county executive uh, accountable and responsible to representing their districts. Uh, this is another big, um, you know, urban, suburban, rural divide. And so, uh, on, you know, on my ballot, we have the opportunity um, to, to vote for April Baskin. Other folks will have the opportunity to vote for Howard Johnson. Um, you know, unfortunately, there were some really amazing candidates um, that, that did not win their, their primary races, but I really do believe um, pushed um, these candidates to to copy or adopt um, many of the things that they want to do, and I think that accountability work needs to continue. I think April Baskin has been more active than um, many other county legislatures in in attempting to address the holding center. Although there, I think, is still a lot more that can be done. Uh, and she's been endorsed by the Democrats and has the Working Families Party line. And then, you know, depending upon your where you live, <coughs> excuse me, you'll see. Um, 
you know, a range of names up for this position, um, blanking on all the folks who, who are running at the moment. Uh, but these are the folks who, who set the agenda uh, for the county, who, who make up the county rules and legislation, and also who are deciding you know, how the county COVID funds are, are distributed. Um, and then the county comptroller, you know, manages that budget, makes some budgetary decisions and has some discretionary, um, you know, decisions that they can make about the budget. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a very important position. I look at this a lot because most of that $1 billion, $1.3 billion is, is held in M&T Bank. Um, and who we bank with is incredibly important to um, the kind of decisions that banks make about how our communities are run. Uh, so Kevin Hardwick and Lynn Dixon um, are, are both running. Um, I think that, you know, Lynn, both of them have been on the county legislature for, for years at a time before. Um, both very experienced. I got to say, like, not super excited about either of them, and it's not an exciting position, um, but an important one. And Kevin Hardwick does have the endorsement um, of the Working Families Party. There also is a libertarian candidate, um, Dwayne Whitmer, who I will admit I don't really know much about. Um, but I think when we talk about budgeting, especially there's much criticism of the way that the county handled COVID, of the overtime that it paid to many of its employees. It was seen um, you know, as part of machine politics to, to reward uh, certain nurses, certain unions, um, certain political positions were, were put in place to deal with COVID. Um, and so I think that it, an audit of the county's finances and how they're used um, you know, it's also important because while a lot of corruption has been exposed in the mayor's race, there's also an enormous amount of corruption at the county level in every political system. And it's the comptroller and the legislature's job to, to figure out how to make all of those resources um, work best for the county and, and also to be an accountability mechanism for the sheriff. Yeah, that all makes sense. Uh, okay, also, so now... Um I didn't include family court judge too, um, but yeah, so city court judge, family court judge, and uh, justice of the Supreme Court. So, I yeah, I well, can. Fa- family court yeah. judge is incredibly important. Is um, that at the county level uh, or city level? That the family court is is separate. I believe separate. it's a city family court. Okay, gotcha. Um, and anybody who's been through the family court system or knows anyone who's been through the family court system knows that these judges literally have not just people's lives in their hands, but entire families' lives in their hands. And the decisions that they make, um, you know, define the the future of of our city as much as anyone at the Board of Education does, um, because what is going on in in children's and families' lives um, will will affect them forever. And so, sadly, we have one option um, right now uh, that has been endorsed on every line. And again, I want people to look at that and really get in your parties, get involved, whatever party you're in, whatever political beliefs that you have. Um, we, we cannot continue to have a political system uh, where we have one person who is endorsed um, by every single party because those parties are, are literally designed to reflect different interests. And what it says to me is that, that this person 
really is not going to be accountable to anyone for 10 years um, <laughs> because they're they're really the only option that's that's been presented and so I hope that uh, Sharon Lovallo um, has the 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 soul of our community and the best interests of children at heart and is able to uh, to do that job well um, but our, our kids definitely deserve choices um, and I think that 10-year terms for judges are, are absolutely ridiculous and make them some of the most um, well-established and unaccountable positions in, yeah. in government. And then we got 14-year term for Justice of the Supreme Court. That's right. New York City. And then we have vote for four, and yeah. there are four options. Right. And oh, most of those four yeah. options have been endorsed, although the Working Families Party did not endorse um, two of those options. Um, we, we Again, we, we have very little competition here. Um, and, you know, these folks are going to be basically a level above the county and city courts uh, on civil and criminal matters, a level below uh, the intermediate appellate courts and the New York State appellate courts, which um, ironically are the actual courts that are supreme over other courts <laughs> in New York State. Uh, but just to say for 14 years, these are the folks who are going to decide whether or not um, what you think may have been wrong about what was handled at your lower courts and if that can like really make it up the chain. And so it's an incredibly important position. Uh, and again, it's important that we continue to work to hold these folks accountable to their jobs over time, especially uh, because they are coming into positions that, that they have had little competition to get. Yeah, no, it's, it's all good. It's, yeah, um, I can't believe the lack of choices, but I guess I I can. Um, city court judge, I think that's our last uh, position to talk about. Uh, yeah, so the city court judges, uh, you know, we've got Rebecca Town, um, Diane Ray, Philip Dabney, and and Carrie Phillips. Oh, we get to uh, vote for any four. We get to vote for any four, and how many names are there? Uh oh! Actually, there's five. There, one conservative. Oh, uh, Joel Moore on the Joel conservative Moore, line. Conservative line. Uh, met Joel Moore. He seems like a, a great guy. Rebecca Town was along the um, powerful advocate for communities. Uh, she um, did the public defenders and um, was really incredibly active in identifying. Um, issues in the community, validating them as a public defender, and doing work at every level beyond her job um, to make sure um, that people's best interests were represented as best she could. So um, I do uh, think that, that I hope and to see her as a judge. Um, I know that there are many people in our community who support Philip Dabney. There are also many um, who see him as part of a, a politically corrupt system. Um, and... Um, have you know have had extreme personal issue uh, with the decisions he's made over over black lives uh, so city court judges um, and this is the kind of the lead judge's job to decide what they preside over what issues and what courts they preside over in city court if you've if you've been there it's in different parts um, and so these will be folks who are who are deciding um, and evaluating and, and interpreting um, you know our laws in real time um, and I'll just say that, that our city court really, um, you know, it can be a mill that just runs people into the holding center. Uh, so hoping that, um, that Rebecca Town, Philip Dabney, Diane Ray, Carrie Phillips, Joel Moore, uh, who was ever able to make it in those positions, 
uh, again, is is working with community and understanding the impacts uh, that they have on people and how we manage a mass incarceration system and how we actually hold um, people who um, may have done things that have upset or harmed people in communities, but ultimately do not deserve the potential death sentence that is being in the Erie County Holding Center and um, and American jails in 2021. Yeah. Thanks, John. Um, okay. I want to just, yeah, let's want to go there. Do we want to talk about, um, the future uh, governor's election 2022 or just keep with the ballot actually and go down i would to like proposals. to stick with the ballot for now yeah um, okay i think yeah we should we should make that so it's so so important yeah, flip your ballot over yeah flip your ballot over it's two sides flip your ballot over there are two sides and on the other side there are five um proposed amendments to the new york state constitution this has not been talked about enough. Our communities are not educated enough about what these things mean. And I will just say it again, flip your ballot, tell your friends to flip your ballot, uh, because we have an opportunity to make some powerful moves forward and opening up the access um, that is needed to kind of break this political system that's that's really tried to get us not participating, not voting, not getting engaged in the processes. Um, so proposal number one, um, is amending in the, uh, the appointment and redistricting process. Um, so one, there has, there has, before there was a general consensus that there should be like 50 to 60 senators in the state uh, Senate. This will freeze it at 63, which is an important number because there are moments where we've had an even number of senators. Uh-huh. Um, it will also amend the process for counting the state's population and delete certain uh, provisions that violate the U.S. Constitution. So what I'll say is that there used to be a process where um, you could not pass amendments to the New York State Constitution unless you had um, unless there was a party in control uh, that had um, basically a political alignment to do that. Mm-hmm. And it was all defined by the party in control. Yeah. Um, so say there wanted to be an amendment of the U.S. Con- of, of the New York State Constitution and um, everybody agreed, um, but the speakers of the party in control didn't want it to happen. They could stop it from happening. Okay. And so now what you need is a simple majority. So that just means like just like any other bill, it makes amendments to the redistricting process, not amendments to the Constitution, but it makes all of the aspects of the redistricting process open to legislative action uh, with a simple majority instead of the complex uh, system that existed before it. And so this is a double-edged sword. It makes it easier for us to change election law. Okay. which is a double-edged sword because we've 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 had powerful people changing our election laws when they wanted to for a long time, mm-hmm. and I think now it allows for populist movements to be able to like to push for those um, because of the census before the 2022 congressional election and those rounds of elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will be a statewide redistricting, and 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 traditionally, what that means is gerrymandering that that their political deals cut. Uh, yeah. If you look at the districts of Buffalo Common Council, if you look at the election districts all of the lines are drawn around population and political power and so when populations change and voting Mm -hmm. changes elected officials 
um, collectively redraw the lines um, and cut deals around how to stay in power. And yeah. so this will open that process up. And I think combined with the other things, like eliminating the 10-day advance voter registration requirement, which basically means that you can now, or well, after this is passed, um, you will be able to same day like register to vote and vote. Uh, we have the capacity technologically. There's no reason that someone should have to wait 10 days um, and that the voting system that we have. So there has been massive shifts since 2017 and how easy and accessible voting is. And they are really the undercurrent of why we're seeing so much um, really political change and more people being elected because more people can participate and participate easier. Most other states adopt these things we think we were liberal and we're ahead of everybody else but so many other states have right. had early voting have had same-day registration have had automatic registration and there's also an amendment here of no excuse absentee ballot voting which I think is funny because right now you basically have to apply to get an absentee ballot right. there are states that send a ballot to every single person it's not even considered absentee mm. it's just considered like we'll send you a ballot we'll accept them for this period of time and basically if you still want to show up on election day you can but everyone is given the opportunity to vote by mail or to or to um, you know accept the ballot and deliver it to a polling station uh, there's absolutely no reason that there should be an excuse like military service illness I mean just like everything very restrictive applications to say right. why some of those limits were lifted because of COVID mm -hmm. right to encourage voting and to make sure that people who did not want to show up because of COVID reasons uh, because they didn't want to be around a bunch of people because mm -hmm. they want to expose themselves and so many of the things the changes that happened in 2020 um, around the pandemic are now being institutionalized if we vote for them and that's why it's so important to turn over this ballot uh, whatever you think of whether you should vote yes or no on these things your opinion should be heard and it is very rare that the electorate actually gets to directly vote for things mm -hmm. we're usually voting for representatives in positions of power over things but not the direct things that will end up in the New York State Constitution. Um, and I think that that's so important to the theory of government we claim to have of being able to adjust um, our rules to, to the moment. Um, so yeah. I think those two are really important. Yeah, and they are like complementary. Well, yeah, like one and three and four all have to do with voting. Opening up access to oh, voting. Yeah, opening Make up access to voting. So yeah, you have to sort of think about how you, if you believe that's, yeah, a good thing or or opens up more tampering. Um, I One thing I did read about, uh, I didn't even know that these proposals were on the ballot until today or, you know, just preparing for this. Um, but one thing I read is that in New York State, like the legislature had to like make these proposals and they did a lot of workshopping for them. But in other states, like uh, people can propose yeah. these. Yeah. Ballot so, initiatives. Yeah. Ballot initiatives of like, we don't have that at all, but other states do. I mean, so I thought that was super we do, but the threshold is okay. just absolutely insane. Yeah. Uh, and that's also part of why participation in voting processes is, is, is so important. Yeah. Um, I will say like, there's one here that basically allows New York City civil courts uh, to decide claims of up to 50,000 to 25,000. I think, and I, we get I, to decide that, like, even yeah. though we don't live in New York City. I, I, I did read that. Like, yes. people are worried that no one's going to, they're going to say, oh, I don't live there, so it doesn't matter. But we actually do get to support that. We, we get that. to make that decision. The yeah. last one, I think, is like, 
I want to say most important, but important from a different perspective, um, is adding the right to clean air, clean water, and a healthful environment. Yeah, proposal number um, two. To I, the New York yep. State Constitution, which gives a brand new legal framework for um, rights of action uh, against different actors. If, if you can prove that they're infringing on your right to clean air, clean water, and a healthy environment, this could be enormously powerful combined with the CLCPA and other efforts to center um, you know, our future on the planet. Yes, with with climate change and and environmental racism, I think we really need to separate those two issues because before we can even address what's happening with climate change, we have to have, have the basics, which is clean air, clean water, um, and and the and the power to to put the rights to air and water over the right to profit, really. Yeah, and um, the healthful environment. Like, I mean, all the cancer rates that you were talking about, it's like directly related to this issue, like lead and developmental disabilities like all of these like public health issues are directly related to these rights um yeah and i just want to say the combination of these things is also intersectional right we need mm -hmm. more people voting we need more people engaged and we need the people who we vote into power to have more tools that we can force them if we have to to use um to protect our, our rights to these things and so Please, uh, everyone who's listening to this, everyone you know, flip over your ballot, vote for these proposals, um, because I believe that many of them will, will make New York State and therefore the country and the world a fundamentally different place. Um, and while they're not the be all end all what we need, they're major stepping stones to opening up our access and ability to build power, uh, to bring our values, uh, to bear in the world, you know, in the future. And so, yeah, please encourage other folks to take a look at these proposals, um, and to flip over your ballot and make sure that you're voting for them. All right. Yeah. Thanks, John. I, I totally agree. And I'm, yeah, looking forward to the next couple of weeks and, yeah, what's about to happen. So, yeah, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Keeping Things Alive podcast. For more information, please visit www.keepingthingsalive.org.